My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. For photobiomodulation, the key is the dosing. The key is how are we delivering these photons to these photoacceptors. It's kind of like pharmaceuticals in that way. We are using photons to add energy into molecules where that's going to trigger a downstream signaling effect. And to do that, you have to be very specific and direct in how you're adding these different molecules. Fitness, nutrition, biohacking, longevity, life optimization, spirituality, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the Ben Greenfield Life Show. Are you ready to hack your life? Let's do this. Well, folks, I'm pretty stoked about my guests on today's show. We had dinner on a rooftop in Mexico several months ago, almost a year ago, in San Miguel de Allende. Beautiful city. His name's Forrest Smith, and Forrest is a, a, a former pretty extreme athlete, rugby player, CrossFitter, and wound up getting into some pretty interesting technology that he studied up on in China and beyond. And I'm just going to leave that there as as a big mystery that he and I are going to get get a chance to talk about later on because I, I love the stuff that he actually brings to the world in the realm of what's called photo biomodulation. Oh yeah. Photobiomodulation, a mouthful. Uh, anyways, as you listen in, everything that we talk about, including more information on this Kineon technology that Forrest has brought to the world, you can find at bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash Kineon podcast. And Kineon is spelled K-I-N-E-O-N. So bengreenfieldlife.com slash Kineon podcast. If you're in your 30s, or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different newly discovered plant-derived ingredients that when expertly combined can help to reduce senescent cells. And the folks at Neurohacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months. And you only use it twice a month, six capsules twice a month. Super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning. Then I set it and forget it for a month, nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try, try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, Backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee and that code Ben Senna will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash Ben Senna. All right, I'm going to teach you a good new long word today. The glycocalyx, glycocalyx, glycocalyx. That's the micro-thin inner lining of all 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. It protects your entire vascular system. It's called the endothelial glycocalyx. The endothelial glycocalyx is so important for all of these 60,000 miles of blood vessels. They support every single organ and system in your body. And that glycocalyx, the inner lining of your blood vessels, is a key element along with something else called nitric oxide of a healthy vascular system. Now, I care a lot about my heart. I've been taking a deep dive into the type of things you can do to support your heart. And I recently added two things into my, my regimen for caring for my heart. 
One is a complete glycocalyx support. It's made by this company called Calroy. It supports the entire fragile inner lining of my entire vascular system with just three capsules a day is what I use. You could use one, two, I, I take three because I'm an overachiever. So that stuff's called the Arterocell HP, Arterocell HP. And then they've got breakthrough nitric oxide support. I just take the nitric oxide at the same time, up to 24 hours of nitric oxide production, which by the way is fantastic for sexual performance as well as heart health. That stuff's called Vasconox. That's the nitric oxide support. But all you need to know is it's made by this company called Calroy. Calroy. And, and again, I've been looking at a lot of the stuff that you could take to support your heart. I want to do it naturally. And uh, this is what I've found as the best of the best solution. You get a, a 20% discount when you bundle a three-month supply of these two together. right? So you get three bottles of the Arterosil and three bottles of the Vasconox. One for the glycocalyx, one for the nitric oxide. Boom, boom, done. So here's how you do it. You go to calroy.com slash Ben, C-A-L-R-O-Y.com slash Ben, calroy.com slash Ben. Save 20% when you bundle a three-month supply of their Arturosil and Vasconox. Check it out. They're amazing products. All right, folks. Well, cold turkey might be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break a bad habit than quitting that bad habit, cold turkey. I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your crazy neighbor standing on a nail bed or something like that. I'm talking about this thing called fume. This little thing called fume holds a hallowed place in my fanny pack, actually. I've been hitting up the maple pepper core in that thing quite a bit. So uh, anyways, the fume is not a vape. It's a flavored air device. You breathe natural flavors through it. Like I said, I got the maple pepper core loaded up in mine right now. Turns out black pepper really hits the spot so I can feel satisfied without breathing in or chewing on anything bad. It's amazing. I've got another one called the crisp mint core, so I can breathe in mint-flavored air rather than a pen infused with something else. You know what I mean? That kind of bad habit that isn't good for you. Instead, you just basically use this pen, and it is an essential oil pen. It's amazing. A flavored air device. You get the taste sensation and the fidget and that hand-to-mouth action, but you don't have to feel guilty about the habit. It's a good habit to have. They have a whole bunch of natural, delicious flavors. It's not a vape. Don't get me wrong. It's a natural air device. It's fully legal. It doesn't have anything bad in it. I even use it on an airplane. I get a few funny looks with people who think I'm vaping on an airplane, even though I'm not. It's just basically flavored air, and it tastes great. I found it made my cravings go out the window. It's weird. It's a crazy life hack, but it works, and it's super sexy and cool looking too. So it's called Fume, F-U-M. You can get 10% off this thing if you go to tryfume.com, tryfume.com, use code BEN to save 10%. So you can accelerate humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up what's called their journey pack today. It has a whole bunch of cool flavors, including that crisp mint core and the maple pepper core, two of my favorites. So again, tryfum.com slash Ben and use code BEN to save 10% off your order from Fume, F-U-M. Forrest, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much. It's great to see you again and, and super excited to talk to you today. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a little while. You, do you remember the name of that restaurant we had dinner at in San Miguel de Linda? I'll have to look it back up, actually, but it was very good. Really good. Excellent. One of the best meals I had oh. there. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you lived in Mexico, by the way? I've been in Mexico for about three years now. I, uh, and this is, this is going to sound funny, but I typically live in China. Um, I left China. Uh, I've been in China for almost 20 years building innovative hardware uh, and technology companies and and manufacturing, um, basically because it was the middle of the supply chain and I I speak and read and write fluent Chinese. But when COVID kicked off, it seemed a little bit um, 
unsettling. Uh, so I, I took my family. It looked like they were going to lock the country down. And so before they could, I took my family, uh, my, my two boys, my wife, and started traveling. And uh, when we did, the assumption was that we'd be traveling for a couple of months and then come back to China to our normal life and house and dog. And what happened in reality was the borders were shut. Our visas were canceled. The flights were canceled. And we had to find a new place to live almost overnight. Wow. Um, and so having just been in, in Mexico to visit, uh, we, we picked out six cities in Mexico to try out and ended up settling down here. Man, that's, I know you, you have a pretty interesting history of how you got into China in the first place, but how far are you from, the, uh, from San Miguel de Allende, where we met up for dinner? Uh, between 45 minutes and an hour, depending on traffic. I was, uh, I was talking with a guy who's actually pretty well known in the health sector. I won't drop his name right now because I don't know if he wants to be busted for this or not, but he believes that there is going to be a pretty big recessionary um, event in America and honestly beyond. And I asked him, we were walking on the beach, I asked him this question. I said, well, if you could go anywhere in the world to live in the safest place possible with the most amount of freedom possible, if there were some kind of a, of a global or even national recession, where would you go? And he said, Mexico. He said, it's just like, super easy to get a, a visa or even an alternate citizenship that it is very, very friendly as far as a place uh, for, for taxes, for business, et cetera. But what are your thoughts on that? I've loved it. I, I was in 20, uh, again, in China for almost 20 years. And I, I spent a lot of time kind of traveling around Asia for work. And I did not anticipate that getting to Mexico, I was going to be able to find a good place to set up and, and do the same level of business that we were doing from China. Um, the world's a lot smaller now, and uh, Mexico is super friendly. We're we're up. Uh, it's been great for my training. I'm up at uh, Central Mexico, as many of the cities are above seven thousand feet up. So if you're doing uh, cardiovascular training, I've got my my assault bike and my echo bike here in the house that I do uh, kind of uh, aerobic anaerobic training on. Um, and so if you're you're training at some level like this, it's it's really helpful from uh, the elevation up. Uh, from a business standpoint, it's been great. The schools are really good. I've got two boys, uh, eight and four, and they're they're loving the schools here. They actually shifted from fluent Chinese to fluent Spanish now, which is uh, it's amazing to see those small changes in day to day life. But from a lifestyle and work standpoint, it's been amazing, um, and I, I think it's going to get more and more uh, so because it's, it's you're seeing a large shift from China being a, a huge supply chain center for the world uh, to people finding that there's a lot of uncertainty around China and Asia right now relative to that and trying to find a, a space to be able to supplement their supply chain. And uh, I think Mexico has benefited by that quite a lot. Uh, and the currency, even out, the dollar has been very strong, but the currency here is actually outpacing the dollar. No kidding. Uh, and uh, I think it's reflective of what's happening with the growth with the, uh, the country. Wow. Interesting. By the way, you mentioned uh, uh, two bikes, the, the assault bike, which I'm familiar with. Was the other one you said the echo bike? That's right. That's right. Uh, so I, I, the assault bike I started on with my CrossFit training, uh, the echo bike, bike is made by Rogue, uh, who's a big uh, kind of uh, barbells and, and plates and, and lifting equipment, uh, racks, et cetera, manufacturer. And they made their own heavy duty um, it's, it's actually a, a band. So these, the, there's a chain, like a normal bike chain driving the, uh, the assault bike. There's a, a, um, a belt driving the echo bike. And because hmm. of that, it's a little bit quieter. 
it's more difficult from a calorie standpoint. So if you're comparing one to one on the calories, I, I find that it is it's a little bit slower to take over those calories, but it's it's really uh, a well constructed bike. Interesting. I'll have to look it up. The Echo Bike, and that's by by, by uh, Rogue. You said that's right. Okay, got it. Now you you originally, you know, speaking of fitness, were big into was it rugby or CrossFit that you got into first? So I got into CrossFit by way of rugby. I I uh, I was about. 37 or 38 um and my neighbor was the president and uh kind of head of the the local rugby club in south china in guangzhou the city level team and uh i'd played american football growing up and i missed the contact uh, but i hadn't played a contact sport in you know 15 or 20 years um but he got me back out there with rugby and it just it just ignited something it's a great sport the social side of it is amazing and it really plugs you in with a lot of people who are doing fun and interesting things um, and so I, I, by way of getting back into rugby, I realized I had to get back into better shape. The rugby team was training CrossFit. And so I got into, I came to CrossFit, uh, both rugby and CrossFit in my late thirties. Oh, wow. But, but leading up to that point, you hadn't been doing a lot besides playing football early on. That's right. I, I was actually, uh, I had done some type of, um, almost, uh, bro science, bro splits type, uh, gym lifting, uh, you know, uh, back and biceps one day and, and kind of legs the next day or something like this, trying to stay in a little bit of shape, but I hadn't really done any metabolic conditioning in some time. And, uh, this, uh, you know, that was really kind of more down to the fact that I've, I've always been building startups and, and, uh, as part of that time is limited, you're, you're always kind of working seven days a week. And it's, uh, it's a little bit more stressful. Um, and what it's come to find uh, or come to turn into over time is, has been uh, the metabolic training has become a bit of a stress relief uh, or, or mitigation strategy for me. Uh, and it, it's, uh, it's been introduced by way of CrossFit. But uh, now with uh, different types of training modalities around this, there's, there's kind of functional bodybuilding and uh, a number of different types of programming that you can find. Uh, but for me, the, the main thing was keeping the, the metabolic uh, training, uh, has become more and more important, um, to, to offset kind of age related injuries and really kind of buy in for the cognitive benefits of this, because I, I do see a lot of the neurocognitive, uh, benefits from this in the literature, but also just from a daily basis, you can, you, you feel that much better from an affect and, and mood standpoint. You mean when you're doing the metabolic training? That's right. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like I, I have, a, a, a great deal of evolution as far as what I've experienced in my own fitness routine. Like this morning's workout was about three 15 minute yoga flow sessions in the sauna with a five minute cold plunge in between each under the red light. So I basically was just doing red light, heat and cold. And for me, that's actually a pretty metabolically stimulating and honestly somewhat demanding workout. If you're holding yoga poses and doing kind of like isometrics with an elevated heart rate, and then hitting the cold and going back and forth. But of course, a big part of that for me, as far as my longevity and fitness and the way my joints feel, is the red light component. And you and I geeked out on that when we met up in Mexico because you're, you, you use red light quite a bit, right? That's right. That's right. I, I uh, have an old uh, MCL and meniscus tear in my left knee. And one of the things that we've seen as we've been in this kind of red light and laser therapy space for a little bit now with developing products and getting them out for people is that um, inflammation that you see generated from old injuries uh, that you might trigger. So I, I might be 
doing box jumps or or um, doing double unders or something like this as part of my normal training and trigger inflammation in this old injury, this tissue, if you don't treat it, and this inflammation, if you don't treat it, doesn't stay local. And it's really dangerous long-term from a cardiovascular standpoint because it, it does things like decrease the shear strength that your cardiovascular endothelial tissue can, can manage. And that's really highly correlated with things like um, severe cardiovascular events. Uh, so, um, and, and all-cause mortality uh, being one of those things that that's driven by, uh, it just, it's better to deal with these things faster uh, and, and in the near term as you can, because it's, it's just something that, you know, both, we, we've done some measurements actually uh, with NFL players relative to their uh, cardiovascular oxygen delivery uh, for regional uh, impairment, um, as an example. So if you, if you see a guy who's had an ACL tear, even eight or 10 years later, after he's gone back to playing full-time competitive impact sports like the NFL, his quad above his injured knee will be one to two degrees cooler than the, the healthy really? knee. And that's because of the cardiovascular system being impaired. It, it's, it's really, you know, it's one of those things that's really coming out in the literature over the past two to five years where this, this inflammation from that local injury is spreading through the body. And it's, it's not happening overnight. Uh, it, it's something that, that takes time, but you see the regional impairment being cardiovascular delivery, and then you're seeing things like this inflammation mediating stiffening of the uh, cardiovascular endothelial or your blood vessel walls. What they call shear strength is a good measure for this, which is basically you're measuring how much pressure that the blood flow going through these uh, blood vessels puts on them. Uh, there's a friction kind of shear strength is what they call that for how much pressure it's putting on it kind of from a, a perpendicular standpoint. Um, and uh, that's substantially stiffened and lowers your shear strength resistance for your cardiovascular endothelial tissue when you have chronic inflammation that a could be a knee, it could be a shoulder, it could be an old injury in your lower back. Um, it impacts you both, again, kind of regionally, locally, regionally, but also systemically. This is really interesting. This is actually the first time I've ever heard that regional inflammation from something like an injury or a chronic condition could, in a way, spread systemically and affect endothelial tissue or the cardiovascular system in other areas of the body. It, you know, it's been in the past year that I've become very aware of the endothelial glycocalyx. I interviewed a couple folks from a cardiovascular supplement company called uh, Calroy about this. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes because we geeked out on this endothelial glycocalyx quite a bit in that episode. But, uh, you know, I, I learned that you can support the endothelial glycocalyx with things like red light, minerals, and most notably during that interview, sulfur-based compounds, you know, glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, yes. various seaweed derivatives, etc. And so uh, it's, it's really interesting now that you're talking about managing the hypoxia, the inflammation, and the cytokine production in these areas that might have been injured as a way to support more global endothelial tissue. That's super interesting. Now, have you, have you come across, Forrest, any information that might indicate that not properly managing or allowing chronic inflammation to continue in an injured or beat up area of the body could also result in any type of 
elevated calcium scan scores, plaque deposition, anything like that in the heart? Right now, it's it's uh, we're drawing lines from correlations to correlations, but uh, there has recently been the um, a couple of studies digging into these mediating factors. So how we we see these really high correlations between local inflammation and this this cardiovascular endothelial uh, stiffening, um, and with that stiffening, there's a high correlation to uh, these plaque deposits. Uh, and so you're kind of making logical leaps to that. So I don't want to say I, I don't want to say that we're, we're we've seen these mediating factors. We we have found the mediating factors for inflammation uh, where we found the correlation with the the uh, endothelial tissue stiffening. I, I haven't seen, as far as my research, uh, a smoking gun for these mediating factors from that to the plaques. But there is a very high correlation between the stiffening and the and the plaque uh, deposition. Yeah, the mechanism of action would certainly make sense. Now, now stepping back big picture when it comes to this idea of using red light therapy on an injury, like you said, I think you had for your your knee, I believe. It, is this something that you initially got into as a part of your involvement with CrossFit and rugby, or were you interested in red light therapy prior to that? Actually, my my uh, oddly enough, my mother brought this to my attention. Uh, she she finds a lot of kind of ahead of the curve type things, and um, in my previous role, I, I founded a LED lighting and controls business, and we spent a lot of time in the supply chain going to different fabs and, and uh, kind of upstream providers of these technology pieces of that business and spent a lot of time in really understanding how the core technology works. And as an expert in that space, my mother was, uh, was interested to understand, is this red light therapy something that is real or is this just snake oil that somebody's, you know, somebody's out there uh, peddling? And my my first uh, reaction was this has got to be snake oil because it's it's claiming a number of claiming the ability to treat uh, a number of different pathologies that would be difficult. How how do all these pathologies share a similar uh, kind of mechanistic foundation? But one of the things that we found is that uh, there are a few different signaling molecules that are triggered in the body. So I, I long story short, I, I went in and I couldn't find something that that proved this was a a snake oil, uh, which was annoying to me. And so I spent more and more time digging back through the medical literature, trying to understand what the mechanisms were. And uh, this was, you know, years ago, uh, and, and the medical literature has expanded out since then. But, uh, you know, we've started and, and uh, our team contribute uh, to a uh, an ongoing uh, database of um, photobiomodulation or light therapy studies uh, that's up in the 7,000s now, uh, where, um, you know, Different studies are, are tracking different aspects of the, of the treatment, of the different pathologies, of the mechanisms of, of uh, mediation of these effects, of these outcomes. What we found, though, is that we, we trigger a few different photoacceptors in the body, and those photoacceptors uh, can be triggered by different wavelengths and are optimally triggered at different frequencies and at different powers. And so uh, that's, at Kenyon, that's one of the things we spend a lot of our time on. Uh, in the tens of thousands of hours at this point, is modeling how light distributes through tissue. And I, I think this is something that's very unique about our team and our approach is most photobiomodulation companies that we've seen have really focused on what we consider engineering uh, dose uh, measurements or metrics. And as an example, that would be things like um, joules per centimeter squared, uh, you're, you're looking at things like irradiance and power density, which is essentially how much light is coming out of a device or an emitter and how much light is going into a, uh, a tissue. 
Um, what we found is a better way to approach this and has allowed us to build a, a much more effective dosing model is start from the start backwards, start from the results that you want to uh, implement. And uh, what we've done with that is said, okay, we know these photoacceptors exist within this depth of tissue in this general volume. Um, how do we model how the light and the photons that we're delivering reach and optimally trigger these signaling molecules that we're, uh, that we're targeting in the body? And there were some existing models. Uh, one of them is called a Lambert beer that we've, we've used from our modeling internally and, and upgraded, kind of standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, as it were. But these models essentially show how photons distribute through tissue. And with our understanding that we have now for where these photoacceptors exist and where these reservoirs of them are and what at what scale they exist at these depths of tissue, we've now modeled what's optimal for delivering uh, photons to these. Hmm. And what was important for us to do at the, the back end of this to be able to make sure that we're not just kind of doing mathematical models, uh, you know, in the, you know, building castles in the, in the clouds, as it were, um, is putting in... Uh, feedback loops so so uh, positive feedback loops from measuring the physiology in real time and there's some people in this space that I, I have to have to mention here that have been doing some great work um evan pycon over at innox um uh we're using their devices from a, a nitric a serum nitric oxide measurement standpoint to help us baseline uh, you know, if our model says this is what we should so as an example one of the things that we're targeting inside the body is hemoglobin okay. When we, when we interact with hemoglobin with near-infrared light, uh, we reduce the affinity of nitric oxide for that hemoglobin, and it dumps a bunch of nitric oxide in the blood. Um, we can now measure that with uh, devices like the Innox, and that gives us a feedback loop to say, we are expecting this level of nitric oxide in the blood, and here's what we found. Our model's, our model's broken somehow. So our castles that we've been building and our, our mathematical abstracts that we've been building are, are not reality-based. And so we use those to baseline what we were doing from a modeling standpoint. And they've really helped us dial in a, a powerful dosing model that, again, that, that we feel is very different from anything we've seen either on the clinical or the commercial side with photobiomodulation. Yeah, I haven't mentioned it yet on this podcast, but this Kineon that that's your company that you developed is a currently a wraparound red light therapy device that is used on joints. Uh, at least that's the current model that exists. And that's how it's used. I have a couple of them. You know, I put them on my knees sometimes in the morning, use them on my elbows before a tennis tournament last week. I know that you probably don't like it when I say this, but I put it around my neck sometimes to <laughs> radiate all the blood going through my body when I want a full body red light treatment without actually turning on a full panel. And so it's an interesting device, but in terms of what you learned as far as uh, nitric oxide production from this NNOX, and you did say there was one other person you're going to mention, so I want to make sure you get a chance to if you still want to. But as far as what you found in terms of tissue penetration of red light and the activation of these so-called photoacceptors, which I assume is the, is the cytochrome complex, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, and nitric oxide production, what did you actually find that needed to be altered or changed or optimized as far as the way that people get exposed to red light or the way that people use red light or the form of red light that they use? What we've really tried to do or what we found from these measurements is that 
targeting internal tissue, there, there's a certain amount that you can do uh, with targeting kind of surface level tissue. And so if you're, you're finding devices out there with laser, excuse me, with LEDs versus lasers um, and, and panels, as an example, it's, it's great for um, things like increasing type two collagen, reducing wrinkles and wound healing, things at the, at the surface level of the tissue. But we found by being able to treat more internally by using lasers and, and kind of these next generation Vixel lasers in specific, uh, is that the, the dosing that you can target for this is much more optimized and you have, you're, you're working on a 3d version of the treatment model versus kind of this 2d surface version. Um, and, and just to kind of give a little bit of context that lasers emit light in a, in a, uh, very direct and what they call collimated, uh, manner. LEDs uh, emit in a Lambertian pattern. Uh, and the Lambertian pattern actually initially means that these LED chips emit in 360 degrees. Um, but what you'll see from an electronics part is that those LED chips are, are packaged in a, in a cup uh, a, a, of a surface mount uh, package um, that usually limits these to about 120 degrees, which is ex still extremely broad. Okay. And it's just hard to target. It's hard to, it's hard to for photobiomodulation, the key is the dosing. The key is how are we delivering these photons to these photoacceptors? It's kind of like pharmaceuticals in that way. Um, with that said, uh, if you don't know how, if you can't measure or you can't model how you're delivering that, then you can't really promise outcomes because the outcomes are basically a sine wave. Um, and so uh, it, it's called the Arndt-Schulz curve or the biphasic dose curve, where as it increases, as you increase the dose level, the outcomes and uh, the beneficial outcomes increase until you hit a peak. And then beyond that point, it goes back down. And so you don't know if you don't know how you're delivering or if you can't measure how you're delivering this, these photons um, effectively, then you don't know you're at the top of this peak. You could be anywhere on there. And this is this is something where we, you know, we I don't particularly like to, to bag other people's products, but uh, with um led panels is an example it's i don't mind man and nobody's listening except you and me anyways so go for it <laughs> all right it's, it's extraordinarily hard to, to to model or to understand what your dosing is because if you move two two inches forward or two inches back um there's the inverse square law uh which is is means that you're making essentially by by moving two inches forward or back you're making a massive dosing difference particularly for internal tissue okay Interesting. Now, I have a few questions for us. When you say photo acceptors, what are you referring to? Uh, molecules where, so we don't we don't use we use lasers. But we don't use ablative, uh, and we don't we use non ionizing lasers, which means that we're not heating up the tissue uh, and and expecting uh, ablative. Typically, is using like lasers, like you would see lasers on sharks for for doctor <laughs> uh, lasers to cut things uh, typically. Uh, but heating up tissue is what ablative lasers do. Uh, ionizing um, radiation is, is something where you're moving electrons around, uh, kind of knocking them out of place. And, and that's what you see with things like UV and, and kind of these shorter wavelength um, uh, radiation emissions, uh, gamma radiation, these type of things. Um, what we're doing is we are using photons to add energy into molecules where that's going to trigger a down downstream signaling effect and to do that you have to be very uh specific and direct in how you're adding those uh 
adding that energy into these uh, these different molecules. Um, there are certain molecules. So cytochrome C oxidase that you mentioned in the, the uh, electron transport chain is one of these. Um, hemoglobin is one of these. Hemoglobin is it's interesting. I, I didn't really know this until uh, we started um, working on these type of products and photobiomodulation as a tech technology. Um, but hemoglobin is really close to chlorophyll uh, in its, its uh, chemical makeup. Um, so you, you, what's your, but uh, all that to say, there, there are these existing molecules that we can target um, and that we know the specific wavelengths uh, and that we're dialing in better over time, the dosing that they need uh, from a light energy uh, interaction to be able to trigger downstream signaling. And so what, what do I mean by downstream signaling? Um, when we're triggering cytochrome C oxidase, for example, in the electron transport chain, uh, there's a number of impacts of that. So electron transport chain uh, kind of feeds into oxidative phosphorylation uh, from an energy generation standpoint. And uh, there's, there's kind of four phases of this electron transport chain. Um, the cytochrome C oxidase piece of this can be a bottleneck for the amount of energy that your cells can generate, essentially. Uh, when you can generate more energy, uh, it's not just the ATP and energy that you're generating at an increased level. Uh, there are, because your your cells and the cellular functions are so inter, interlocked, um, the signaling that happens when you increase that, that energy production uh, means that you're also reducing uh, reactive oxygen species and, and uh, oxidative stress, as an example. Uh, so there's a number of knock-on effects to anything that you do from a molecular level in your in, in the signaling in your cells, and um, very similar for uh, nitric oxide released within both within the cell, uh, but also extracellular nitric oxide for that that uh, really has some beneficial effects for your cardiovascular tissue, and so that's that's kind of uh, what we're talking about with uh, the the interaction with those photoacceptors uh, triggering signaling downstream. If you're in your 30s or anywhere beyond, you got to start eliminating senescent cells in your body. These are the so-called zombie cells that make you feel old before it's time to feel old. They linger in your body after their useful function, hence their name zombie cells, wasting energy and precious nutrition and leading to so many middle-aged symptoms like low energy, brain fog, slow workout recovery, and joint discomfort. But luckily, you can nuke these senescent cells. There are a bunch of different newly discovered plant-derived ingredients that when expertly combined can help to reduce senescent cells. And the folks at Neurohacker have cracked the code on putting them all together into a fantastic product called Qualia Senolytic. Qualia Senolytic. Now, this could be one of the biggest aging breakthroughs of the decade based on what we know about senescent cells. It could take years off how old you feel in just months. And you only use it twice a month, six capsules twice a month. Super simple. I'm actually on my cycle right now. I just took six this morning. I'll take six tomorrow morning. Then I set it and forget it for a month, nuking my senescent cells and feeling younger in the process. So if you're sick of feeling old before your time, try, try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, S-E-N-O, neurohacker.com slash Ben Seno, Backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee and that code Ben Senna will give you an additional 15% off at neurohacker.com forward slash Ben Senna. Hey, what if I told you you could drink soda and have stabilized sugar levels? Well, not soda. It's like sparkling water. 
It tastes like soda. It tastes better than soda, in my opinion. It's this product made by this new company called Good Idea. It's not an energy drink. It's a drink that helps to stabilize your blood glucose levels when you have it with a meal. In fantastic, wonderful flavors like strawberry elderflower and hawthorn sea berry and black currant and wild raspberry. So what they did was they took proven minerals and blood sugar supporting compounds, put them all together with zero sugar, zero sweeteners, zero caffeine, zero artificial BS whatsoever. And they put it all into this drink called Good Idea which I think is a pretty good idea. So if you want to try this stuff and you want to stabilize your blood glucose levels and have it with some carbohydrates and just basically have a drink that's actually good for you, it tastes amazing, by the way, check it out, goodidea.us, goodidea.us, and promo code BEN10 will save you some buka bucks. So goodidea.us and use promo code BEN10. And when you talk about the benefits peaking after a certain treatment time or level of, of exposure to LED lasers or both. When you say there's a like a drop off or a parabolic curve or, a, or an inverse U when it comes to the benefits, do you mean that it would be excess stimulation of some of these photoacceptors that would result in almost like a spillover free radical production effect with too much nitric oxide, uh, too much ATP produced, et cetera? That's right. And, and so there's, there's a cap for how much uh, you can trigger from these signals. But what we find on the other side is, is hotspotting, ex uh, as an example. And, and we get questions quite often, you know, why aren't you guys using, you know, class three or class four lasers? And we have to kind of um, part of our, our a lot of our job is education. And so, um, you know, we're, we're using class one lasers. We were planning on actually using class two lasers in our uh, commercial and home use devices. Um, those are those are easy enough to get through FDA, and we were actually down the process of getting them through the FDA uh, from a clearance standpoint. When we did some internal testing that showed really unequivocally that the dosing that we were providing through one um, and, and this is going to be kind of rough order of magnitude, so it won't be exact, but roughly one two hundred milliwatt um, part from a, a laser standpoint was less effective than that same 200 milliwatts broken between five different emitters. Wow. And so uh, that that triggered us to, to go back and relook at the model. And it, it, and it makes sense when you actually look at how the light distributes through the tissue. Uh, so what, what we see a lot is when people have a class three or class four, uh, or even the class two devices, is that a lot of the tissue that they're trying to, to dose effectively is being... Um, overdose and you, and you may uh, look at and one nice thing about photobiomodulation is there's not really an overdose where you go back down below zero basically what it does is when you overdose with the light it, you just don't get the results that you're expecting it's not it's not doing anything damaging it's just um, you're not getting the benefits that you would like to uh, but what we found is with these with this light distribution is that the, there's a balance to be had for the power. It's not just the most powerful lasers are going to provide the best results. It, it really is almost a communication mechanism with these uh, molecular level photoacceptors in the body. Okay, this is interesting. Now, what about if you have, because I've talked about this before on the podcast after reading a fascinating book about melanin in the skin and this pigment that can be in the body and its interaction with photobiomodulation or photons of light. But upon reading that, even though that was focused on like a dark blackish compound, uh, similar to what you'd find in like shilajit, I've also seen uh, some evidence that 
photocyanins, like the blue greens that you get from algae, like spirulina and chlorella, for example, or even as you're probably aware of, because a lot of people are doing this now, methylene blue could increase the activity of the electron transport chain in response to red light therapy, potentially also well reducing endothelial nitric oxide synthesis, so, so excessive nitric oxide production. Have you messed around with that at all, like used your devices in conjunction with methylene blue or shilajit or blue-green algae or anything like that, that that you'd consume orally? Only with methylene blue to date, and I, I think that was essentially based around, uh, and there have been a couple of studies on that uh, in, in the last uh, two years, I believe, essentially around we're you know with with light we're ta uh, targeting one of the targets we have from a photoreceptor standpoint is that um third phase of the four phases of uh, electron transport chain with methylene blue uh and and what you see with that is if we if we remove this third phase of electron transport chain as a bottleneck then the bottleneck moves somewhere else and uh, often what you'll see is it moved that fourth phase um and the fourth phase is impacted by methylene blue. So what you look at is these synergistic impacts that you can have by removing multiple bottlenecks from, from this energy production system. Well, for example, I used a methylene blue product. I think the one I used was called BioBlue this morning before I did red light therapy mixed with cold. And I've always felt that I have more energy. And even, you know, it, it seems a little bit of a clearer head and arguably, even though you know, this is difficult to measure acutely, better mitochondrial response when I'm using one of those compounds or all three of them in conjunction with red light. So yeah, I, I would recommend if you get a chance, you should mess around with the, with the shilajit or the blue-green algae as well, uh, because I, I, they seem to produce a similar effect. And research is a little scant on this idea of humans being able to photosynthesize like plants in response to red light, especially with certain nutrients in the body. But I think it's just a, a very interesting area to experiment with and explore. Um, so you were talking about this law of diminishing returns and the fact that you reach a certain point where you don't really get any additional benefit and may get diminished returns. But what would be a treatment time? Like with your wraparound device, how long would you put it on uh, to actually get that beneficial dose or that ideal dose? So essentially, we've we've dosed this around 15 minute um, uses. Uh, and you can do that twice a day, morning and evening, if you have a very uh, serious tissue damage, uh, some kind of acute uh, issue from an, an inflammation standpoint, or if you've had long-term, um, uh, a long-term uh, kind of tissue damage. Uh, so for me, again, this goes back to my, my uh, torn meniscus. Um, that still generates inflammation in my knees, uh, particularly when it's triggered from training. Uh, and so I'll, I'll, when it, whenever it's triggered, I'll use it twice a day, 15 minutes. Um, if it's not triggered, uh, one of the things that the the light therapy does very well is helps you grow healthier soft tissue. So um, increasing the rate of chondroblast proliferation, um, increasing type two cartilage, excuse me, uh, type two um, collagen, and increasing the rate of growth for your soft tissue like cartilage and ligaments. Um, it's it's you know we we also get a lot of questions about that and and the, the literature is fairly uh, specific about how that operates because it, it it sounds like an incredible claim uh, that we're going to increase the rate of growth for cartilage, but typically just to kind of uh, provide a little context for that typically what we see is there's a homeostasis in your joints for production of cartilage and then uh, degradation of cartilage, and when you have increased levels of inflammation 
it reduces the cartilage production uh, and increases the degradation rates. And so you're just out of, out of balance. Um, this isn't magically making cartilage appear. Uh, what it's doing is reducing that inflammation so that your degradation rates slow and your proliferation rates for these chondroblasts increase. And, and this, from an expectation standpoint, is a month-scale process. So it's, it's something that you'd, you'd want to continue doing, regardless of how the inflammation and, and pain have been reduced, uh, continue doing this to help kind of remodeling your, your soft tissue in the near term. I didn't know there was a dosing effect. That's interesting. That's actually really good to know. I, I, I've been using mine every day. Of course, I also do some infrared sauna and we'll use these red light panels in the morning sometimes. But the Kineon, I've been using on at least one joint every day. When, when you talk about the inflammation effect, though, it might sound kind of paradoxical to people for us because you, know, you mentioned the drop in tissue temperature in the quad muscle above the knee that could result from a knee injury or chronic inflammation in the knee. And then you talk about the use of something that could theoretically heat tissue like LED and perhaps more notably lasers and that reducing inflammation. But a lot of people think ice to reduce inflammation and then associate inflammation with heated tissue. But it sounds like that's not the case. Yeah. So, so inflammation, uh, just to, just to draw a couple of uh, delineation points there, there's, there's acute inflammation, which typically is bringing um, kind of positive um, factors to the area to help repair tissue damage. Uh, there's also chronic inflammation. Um, and one of the things that we've seen is that although we've been kind of told rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation, when we were younger in, in sports and things like this, uh, it it's actually doesn't work. And, and the, uh, the doctor who actually uh, invented or coined the term rice uh, has kind of recanted it and come out with a lot better data. And, and you know, to his credit, he didn't have that data at the, at the time that they were trying to to roll this out as a gold standard treatment. Um, but what you do see uh, is comparing tissue protection uh, for icing something uh, versus using uh, the light and laser therapy to bring additional healing factors to the area. Uh, it, it's night and day there there's uh, and I'll, I'll provide you a link. Uh, we have a PDF that we've pulled together, I think four or five different, uh, clinical trials that had good microscopy work. And you can see, you know, in, in kind of one-to-one -one comparison, the difference in the, the protective, uh, effects, uh, from the, the light therapy, uh, and the laser therapy versus the, the cold treatment, the cryogenic treatment. Now, are you actually saying that cryotherapy, cold water immersion, et cetera, would be uh, almost like contraindicated in an inflamed or injured state? Or are you saying that it's not as powerful as something like red light therapy or a combination of LED and lasers to reduce inflammation? Uh, so I would say in general contraindicated. Hmm. What we do see from cold therapy is, um, at least from my, and I, I've spent a little bit less time in that than I have in photobiomodulation, is the the brain impacts. There's, there's some uh, kind of nice... Um, impacts on on your um on your brain from a molecular standpoint that you get from cold therapy but it does reduce so if you're doing cold therapy uh after you're uh you're doing hypertrophy or strength training you're probably doing yourself a disservice uh and if you're doing it for injury recovery you're probably doing yourself a disservice if you're doing it um again for kind of the neurological impacts uh there are some very powerful neurological impacts uh that are are great for you from a brain standpoint. Um, but that's, that's the, the most recent literature that I've seen on it is, is again, from a, 
from an injury recovery or, or hypertrophy standpoint, is it's really not not very beneficial. Yeah. And I think there's some subtle nuances to what you just said. For example, you know, I, I always get my head under to activate the mammalian dive reflex when I'm in cold water to get some of those neurological and vagus nerve toning benefits that you mentioned. We obviously know about the, you know, control of glycemic variability or blood glucose for a long period of time afterwards in response to cold, as well as, for example, the reason a lot of people do it, the uh, the conversion of metabolically inactive white fat to more metabolically active heat generating brown fat. I would agree with you that you see if you use it post-workout or even in a situation of injury or excessive inflammation, not the type of effects that you'd want and potentially a deleterious effect in terms of mitochondrial proliferation or, or satellite cell hypertrophy or something like that. But if you dig into those studies, you're getting pretty cold for a significant period of time. And I actually think that light amounts of cold therapy, you know, cold air exposure, some cold water swimming, staying away from the extreme shivering effect. There's actually, and you, you can look at some of the literature, you know, for example, I would say most of the data I've seen on this is in the National Journal of Strength Conditioning Research with CWI or cold water immersion that isn't excessively cold and doesn't result in a muscle tissue temperature drop of, I believe, 1.5 Celsius or more, which is pretty significant, actually does give you a reduction in inflammatory markers and a reduced rating of perceived exertion. But we're talking about the difference between a 10-minute ice bath soak and like a quick five-minute cold shower after workout. So I think the dose is the poison when it comes to cold and whether or not it'd be contraindicated, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I, I think, uh, you know, as in most things, the devil's in the details. And, and for your body, that detail is dosing. And I, I think you you nailed it there. That's, that's you know, the same thing for us, the same thing for for most things. I, I also see a lot of pushback on, you know, photobiomodulation for people who say, hey, look, these, these early studies from the 90s showed that it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't effective for this or, or that. And if you go back and look at those relative to what the, the correct doses are, um, you know, they, they just didn't know at the time. We didn't have this, this that yeah. kind of data available. And I, I'd love to see, and this, this actually kind of brings us to one of the things that we'll be working on uh, launching over the next 12 to 18 months is what we haven't seen or what we haven't had as a species it is really this window into um, what the responses are and, the, and our ability to track and make behavioral changes around that. And I, I think this is the, one of the things that we're super excited about is we, we've been working on and, and have just uh, applied for some, uh, some very prestigious grants for a, a brain device, uh, which is a uh, near-infrared um, spectroscopy uh, device, a, a functional near-infrared uh, spectroscopy device or, or broadband near-infrared spectroscopy device, depending on, on how, how specific you go on the technology side. But I, I think one of the things that we've seen in the, the recent past is emitters and sensor technology from a hardware standpoint have made these huge leaps and bounds over the last 10 years, but really over the last two to five years. And they're unlocking things from a sensing standpoint where we can start putting better feedback loops around uh, measurements and objective measurements relative to what we're doing uh, and what we're triggering in the physiology. And, and I think for us, that's super important. One of the reasons we're committing to it is our mission as a, as a company and as a team is to increase the quality of life the largest number of people we can in the most measurable and substantial way we can. And when you're doing things like our first product, the, the Move Plus, um, you're, you're triggering changes physiologically that impact 
pain and inflammation. Um, inflammation, you can measure. You can take blood draws, and we've got good data on that. Pain is a very subjective thing. It's really hard to measure in the body. And, you know, we, we would love to be held as accountable as possible to our commitment as a mission. That's, that's why we have two pieces of accountability in there. How many people are we able to impact with this technology? And then how, how is that technology able to impact them? So, uh, you know, we assume that if we can do both of those in an increasing and improving way over time, that we're doing our jobs correctly. But if you're measuring something like pain and it's a subjective scale, like a visual assessment score, which is essentially, you know, zero to 10, how do you feel? Uh, it makes it more difficult and it gives you a less robust feedback loop. And so we've taken the uh, initiative to go out and start developing these spectroscopy products that allow us to measure more effectively hemodynamics, um, a couple of specific molecules, and uh, and really most importantly is metabolic dynamics in the body and, and how those perform. And I, I feel like this long term is is really one of the most powerful things that we'll see in the next 10 years, whether it's our company or, or whoever's bringing it to market, are these measurements. How do we, how do we measure and uh, take objective metrics out of what's happening in our body relative to these different treatments and behavioral changes? Yeah, a new acquaintance of mine uh, is working on uh, something very similar to magnetic resonance imaging, a magnetic, magnetic resonance spectroscopy, probably similar to what you've just described for analyzing blood metabolites non-invasively like glucose, uh, lactic acid, ketones, et cetera. So I, I absolutely think that there's a lot that can be done in the field of non-invasive measurements. But when you're talking about near-infrared spectroscopy, are you referring to the ability to, say, utilize some type of head-worn or intracranial or intranasal device and use that to actually take measurements and deliver appropriate treatment modalities based on the measurements? That's right. That's essentially what we're developing is we have we have brain modules that we're developing on one side and dosing relative to what we're seeing um, from other sensors and from blood draws that we have available now. And then on the other side, we have this uh, kind of array of sensors, which actually, now that I think of it, you could think of as kind of uh, an array of, of uh, whoop sensors around your head, uh, as an example. Um, but instead of just measuring heart rate and heart rate variability, which are very which are related to a number of different health metrics, but are related in a very ancillary and indirect way. Uh, we're measuring things very direct. Uh, and the key one for us from a neurological tissue standpoint is how, how is this neurological tissue behaving uh, from a metabolic standpoint? Uh, because one of the things that we've seen, again, more and more in the medical literature over the last five to 10 years is there's an extremely high correlation, and we would already argue causation from, from our team uh, between metabolic uh, dysfunction and metabolic impairment and a number of different neurological uh, behavioral pathologies. And so medical, you know, as an example, uh, major depressive disorder, um, bipolar, uh, certain types of dementia, cognitive decline, um, there's uh, addiction even has a very high, we don't know addiction from a, a causation standpoint, I would say core, core, high levels of correlation there. Um, but what, what we're seeing though is that how your brain generates and distributes and uses energy shows, can be measured to show different patterns. Uh, and these patterns uh, 
correlate to to pathologies. And, and again, with this transcranial methodology that we have for treating those, how do we dose that? How do we dose that on a personal level? Uh, and you know, I, I think the measurements long term for us, what were the investments we're making into the the measurements from a spectroscopy standpoint, give us a it turns on the lights in a dark room so that we can dose most effectively. And then we can also provide people feedback loops relative to their own behavior and, and different. It's not just the transcranial uh, photobiomodulation that's going to be able to, to impact these dietary, exercise-based, other behavioral-based uh, implications uh, are there. Uh, and I think we'll see really, it gives you a steering wheel for the car that we're kind of just blindly going down the road in now, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's way beyond just this idea of type 3 diabetes or blood glucose being elevated or high amounts of glycemic variability being associated with Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, early onset particularly, but more along the lines of what I believe the guy's name is uh, Chris Nelson, I think is a guy I've heard talk about the link between metabolic dysregulation and psychological dysregulation. And you're right, there's there's a lot more than just risk of diabetes when it comes to bipolar, you know, ADD, ADHD-like symptoms, schizophrenia, uh, you know, and a, a lot of things that surprisingly are related to either the metabolism brain axis or the gut brain axis. And it sounds like you're almost, you know, kind of creating a scenario in which photobiomodulation marries neurofeedback and has a baby. Yes, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. We, we want our devices to be the most uh, powerful and effective devices on the market with regards to the to the physiological impacts. And um, I think you, you've nailed it there, the, the gut brain, and we're also seeing some, some literature in the gut brain plus organ. So gut, play, gut brain plus liver, as an example, mm. uh, is, is a really well-documented axis for being able to impact uh, a number of these different things. And, and um, yeah, the, the, the neurology that we'd like to be able to see, um, again, for us, it's, it's about measuring that quality of life change when you see people with dementia, when you see people with uh, Alzheimer's and, and Lewy body syndrome and, and Parkinson's, uh, and, and again, the, with major depressive disorder and chronic anxiety, these are things that present in a way that indicates that we can positively impact them with therapy, with treatment. Uh, and we want to be able to optimize how we do that so we can optimize the outcomes for people because we really see that as a way to, to impact their quality of life. Yeah, I, I own a couple of devices like the V-Lite. They have several different alpha and gamma-based photobiomodulation devices, intracranial and intranasal. I have actually over here, you can't see it in the video, but I've got this Neuronic helmet on my desk, which uses a slightly higher uh, wavelength. I think, I think it's up in the 1000s for that one. And then even though both of those are one-way streets compared to what you've just described, the only device I know of that's currently measuring brain electrical activity and delivering both neurofeedback cues like lights and sounds, or, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, sights and sounds, you know, on an app that's gamified, very similar, like clinical grade neurofeedback where you'd, I don't know, fly a spaceship with your mind and the spaceship will alter course or ignition will stop coming out the back of it once your brain strays into unfavorable brainwave patterns or brainwave patterns you're, you're trying to detrain. The device I've been messing around with a little bit does that, but then combines it with actually a little bit of, of photobiomodulation. That one's called the Sensei. Have you come across that one at all? I have seen the Sensei. I, I think the ones that we've seen that have been, um, I would say kind of more as the, the pro version, uh, and we've actually been interacting with them and their their uh, kind of 
one of their board members and getting connected with their science team is the Wavi, uh, W-A-V-I. Oh, yeah. I, I can yeah. send you through a, look, uh, a link for it. They they do essentially what you're saying as well, is, which is um, kind of triggering using uh, external, um, in their case, uh, lights and sounds uh, to trigger subconscious or unconscious responses and measuring those, uh, the kind of, uh, the time frame that those happen between different regions of the brain. And yep. when you have a baseline for those and and you know what they should be, then it allows you to measure things like, you know, is this person in, in chronic pain? And, you know, is, is the therapeutic uh, modality that we're working with them on impacting that positively? Uh, because a lot of times, again, we, we've, people been looking for pain measurements uh, for a long time. This is one where you're actually starting to see it uh, come to fruition. And, and I think our experience right now is that um, electrical sensors for the brain are a much more mature technology. Uh, the kind of building block pieces that you needed to get there were, were available much earlier. And right now we're seeing machine learning applied to those in a more effective way to be able to build a meaningful picture out of the data that's there. I think the what you're measuring with those uh, holds in, in, and again, this is this is opinion, not fact, but uh, holds a little bit less um, data than we are going to see from what uh, these new building blocks of these new types of lasers and these new types of sen uh, sensors, silicon, silicon photomultipliers, and and um, these uh, avalanche photomultipliers are are giving us tools that haven't been there and unlocking a way for us to apply machine learning in a higher resolution and uh, larger data way uh, than, than is available with, with uh, the electrical sensors. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you develop, man. That's actually super cool. So I'll, and you and I keep in touch, so I'll, I'll stay tuned. But back to the Kineon, which obviously already exists, people can obviously already buy it. You know, I, I have a couple. Uh, in terms of how you've designed it, you obviously, did a pretty good job explaining the combination of LED and lasers being superior to that of like, say, a full body red light panel or a spot treatment red light panel using LEDs. But is there anything else unique that you did when developing the Kineon to, to scratch your own itch or to satisfy a need in the market that you saw? Well, really, what we were trying to do is, is offer people a meaningful alternatives uh, to pharmaceutical solutions. So NSAIDs are, are are really not good for your body, um, kind of short or long term. You, you mean you mean the the non non steroidals like ibuprofen, Advil, etc. That's exactly it. If you if you have to take an ibuprofen, you know once once a year, then it's probably not going to hurt you too bad. If you're if you're taking ibuprofen regularly for knee pain and shoulder pain and lower back pain, which a lot of our older users are are taking this not and they're taking this in very substantial doses very regularly and they have no idea that there's a cardiovascular uh impact uh from a and risk increase uh from this longer term um which is is not insubstantial it's it's uh you know the, as as best we know now it's in the 30 roughly 30 plus percent uh regardless of if you're six or you're 60 your increase of uh cardio increased risk of cardiovascular disease from ongoing uh ibuprofen or, or NSAIDs use is increased by over 30%. So it's, it's you know, it's meaningful. Um, but our, our assumption in, in creating these devices was that there, this technology already works. There's, there's $15,000 devices in clinics. 
the reason that people aren't using them is that they need to use it every day uh, to get the right level of dosing and to get the best optimal outcome. Which, which by, gonna... by the way, I don't want to interrupt you too much, but that's really <laughs> important. I have not talked about that before, nor have I heard about that remodeling effect just because I'm using the Kineon right now to, to work pretty hard on knee and right elbow. Um, that means a lot to me because I've probably been three or four days a week hitting the same joint. And I, th this is just, I mean, if I learn one thing alone from this show, that, that daily use, that means a lot, but go ahead and continue. No, thank you. It's a great point. Uh, the daily use ongoing, whether or not you're in pain, it really makes a big difference from a tissue remodeling standpoint. But uh, from a design standpoint, how we came about with the product is we wanted we 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 saw fifteen thousand dollar devices in a clinic and said, why aren't people using this if they can take this instead of pharmaceuticals? And the reason is it's too expensive and it's not very convenient. And you need it. You you need something that people can use conveniently to be able to. Uh, to commit to this from a, a long-term use program. And so uh, our goal was to get it under $500, which we've done um, for home use, and to be able to make it wearable and to be, able to, to be able to still meet the dosing necessary to have clinical level outcomes. So regrow your tissue faster, uh, you know, reduce your inflammation, reduce the pain, um, and, and stop taking the drugs that are, that can increase your, your all cause mortality. And also your, I mean, directly increase your cardiovascular disease. Um, and, and that's, that's what our goal was with it. And so we've made a wearable device that's, uh, under $500 that you can use at home and it works for recovery. It works for, um, redu reduced inflammation and pain. Um, and, and it also, one of the things that, and from a recovery standpoint that I, I think as a high achiever and a, I, I believe, uh, ongoing athlete uh you'd be interested in uh is the uh muscle inflammatory markers that we we uh reduce uh there's there's two that we track uh and have seen great uh impacts for and, and we work with a, a number of different uh kind of top tier athletes uh nfl nba um, but particularly in crossfit where they really hammer their bodies uh intensely and hard um and, and want to get back into training very quickly uh, C-reactive proteins and creatinine kinase are, are mm. both um, good markers that we re reduced by 60 and 80% relative to the, 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 what you would have from these training sessions. Wow. It's, a, it's amazing. And, and I, I understand the effect now that you've explained these photo acceptors and how they actually work from an inflammatory standpoint and, and the heating of the tissue. And it, it, Would it work through clothing, by the way, or does this seem to be against bare skin? Ideally against bare skin. We've, we've dosed it uh, optimally against bare skin. And there's one other thing that you get from against bare skin as well, which is they call the blanching effect, which is essentially as you compress the skin, uh, it removes some of the surface level um, hemoglobin from the area that would be absorbing the, uh, the wave, these wavelengths otherwise. And so it gets it further into the internal tissue. Can I tell you something interesting? And I realize this is a total off-label use, but like I mentioned, I've used, I have a couple Kenyons, and I love the idea that you could wrap one around left knee joint, right knee joint. Again, I've used it on both elbows prior to tennis matches now, but I've wrapped it around my neck. I realized that's potentially a choking hazard. You probably can't make those claims as a company, but based on the idea that it could irradiate blood traveling through the carotid artery and also have an effect on the vagus nerve and on my cervical spine, which frankly gets sore. I have repeated this now... I think I've got over 10 times that I have found this effect. 
a full body flushing, almost like a niacin flush type of response to that. Have you ever heard of such a thing, like like a full body flush in response to red light therapy targeted to just one area of the body? I, I hadn't, but we also don't really have people using it on their neck, and there's a huge volume of blood going through there, and you are dumping nitric oxide into this blood very fast as it's coming through with these lasers. So it, it makes sense. It's just not something we, we yeah. actually heard about. I, I can check with our team and see if we can keep an eye open for that as well. I find it very interesting. I mean, I, I honestly like a flush. Like I like it when you take a pre-workout like arginine or citrulline or nitric oxide or even Tadalafil or Viagra, and you get this wonderful like Russian energy and blood flow. So yeah, you can you can now market your device as wearable Viagra for us, for those who want to experiment off-label, <laughs> off-label around their neck. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, uh, I'm sure we're going to get a knock on the door from that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hope, hopefully not from someone who's, who's in trouble having choked themselves with a kidney on. Um, well, well, you know, it's a very interesting <laughs> device. Um, how many people are getting more than one uh, and, and using it simultaneously like I've been doing? Is that pretty common? I mean, I know that's, that's pushing close to $1,000, but I'm just curious if you guys package up a couple or do anything like that. We are running a, a um, what we've seen is actually a lot of folks working on kind of a pay it forward model. And so we're just labeling it that like, um, you know, I, I, uh, I've sent some to my folks. Uh, we, we see a lot of folks kind of working on this for their, um, their family members. Or if you know somebody, your friend has a knee problem or just had a shoulder surgery. Uh, so what we're doing right now is reducing the price for, um, for the season uh, for, for people who want to gift the devices to people who have problems. Again, our, our mission is to help move the move that needle from a quality of life standpoint. And we felt like this was a really good way to do that uh, from an alignment. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know if this podcast will come out before Christmas or not, but either way, if you're listening right now, just go to the show notes at bengreenfieldlife.com slash Kineon podcast, K-I-N-E-O-N. Awesome pictures there of what it looks like, as well as links to some of the other things that Forrest and I have talked about. But if you have questions or comments or feedback, or you want to get a hold of Forrest or me, just leave your comments over there. Uh, you know, even if you want like to get more than one or get some for a friend or whatever. And if for some reason that deal doesn't exist, I'll make sure you get taken care of. Cause I actually really like this device. I mean, I had one before you and I met up in Mexico for us, but I didn't really know how to use it or why it was different. I honestly thought it was just like a cheapo slap on led device. And now that I, I understand more about it, even after this interview, like I, I'm very excited. I'm going to start using it even more. Um, I think it's a it's a fantastic device, man. So nice job. Thanks so much. Really appreciate the support. And, and we'll have to get you one of the gut ones. We have the gut gut and vagal tone ones that are coming out uh, early next year. We'll get you some of those early as well, just to get your feedback on it. I would love to give feedback. You know, V-Light, that other company I mentioned, they have a gut and a vagus. I have it. I've used it. And I, you know, you know me, I'm the, I'm the guinea pig. So I actually like to test and compare a lot of these devices. So I would be happy to check it out and give give you feedback and even i suppose competitive comparison so so yeah absolutely um well folks uh that's about all the time we have with forrest smith from kineon it's the kineon move the red light that moves with you that does a great job at crushing pain drug free and you can check out the show notes and get a kineon for yourself with a special deal if you go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash Kineon podcast. That's bengreenfieldlife.com slash K-I-N-E-O-N podcast. Forrest, thanks so much, man. That was amazing. Thank you. Great to see you. All right, folks, I'm Ben Forrest, signing out from bengreenfieldlife.com. Have an amazing week. Well, this is pretty cool. 
just put the finishing touches on a luxury VIP retreat in the Swiss mountains. So you may have seen a little bit of rumblings about this on social media, but the beautiful Six Senses Retreat, all-inclusive luxury locale in beautiful Crans, Montana, Switzerland, has graciously allowed me to bring a maximum of up to 10 folks, and this could be individuals, couples, families, into a transformative experience there where I'm going to lead breath work, hikes, workouts. You'll get hands-on foraging adventures with nature's freshest ingredients in their cooking class locale there. You're going to get a chance to do amazing spa treatments, a meticulously curated program. You'll get to meet my wife and my sons who will be there. Again, families are welcome. You can bring one or two or three kids. You can make it a couple's retreat. If you want to go solo, you can. There's a limited number of rooms where we're prioritizing couples and families. But again, if you want to get in, this thing is coming up around the corner, April 17th through the 21st, 2024. So it will be all-inclusive. You'll want to fly into Geneva, Switzerland, assuming you want to get into the closest airport. I've already got our flights. Uh, you'll want to mic your calendar for April 17th through the 21st. And here's how to get in. You go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24. That's bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24. And again, it's going to be incredible all the way down to like evening sing-alongs and stargazing and yoga and meditation. And again, the spa there is incredible. Six senses is known for having incredible retreats around the world, but this one in Switzerland is supposed to be one of the best. I can't wait. I led a retreat in Portugal last year and people just said it was the most amazing experience of their lives. This one will be just as good, if not better. So go to bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses 24 and you can get in on this retreat that's coming up right around the corner, April 17th through the 21st. I hope to see you there. Want free access to comprehensive show notes, my weekly roundup, cutting edge research and articles, my top recommendations for everything that you need to hack your life and much more. Visit bengreenfieldlife.com. In compliance with the FTC guidelines, please assume the following about links and posts on this site. Most of the links going to products are often affiliate links, of which I receive a small commission from sales of certain items. But the price is the same for you, and sometimes I even get to share a unique and somewhat significant discount with you. In some cases, I might also be an investor in a company I mention. I'm the founder, for example, of Keon LLC, the makers of Keon branded supplements and products, which I talk about quite a bit. Regardless of the relationship, if I post or talk about an affiliate link to a product, it is indeed something I personally use, support, and with full authenticity and transparency, recommend in good conscience. I personally vet each and every product that I talk about. My first priority is providing valuable information and resources to you that help you positively optimize your mind, body, and spirit. And I'll only ever link to products or resources, affiliate or otherwise, that fit within this purpose. So there's your fancy legal disclaimer.